welcome to Ladies Kicking Assets, where we are empowering women and all of our audiences with education. Um, we are really aspiring for women to take action on the information that they're receiving and just be educated. And gosh, what we've seen is that this is not just women that are listening to Ladies Kicking Assets. We have people of all people groups around the world, ages, um, male, female, um, listening to the information and to our guests. So we're so grateful for that. Um, one of the things that I would stress is that you take whatever information you hear, you go connect with your CPAs and your attorneys and those folks who have all of the little letters after their names. That is who we are. Um, we are all folks who are aspiring for more education and becoming, you know, you know, better in those spaces. So today, I just want to thank Courtney, who's my business partner, for being here with me on this great interview. And today we have Adapia De Erico and Akil Patel. And so I just want to welcome you both um, to our Ladies Kicking Assets vodcast and just a jump into some conversation that we're going to have today on our economy and just where things are going, which that's a hot topic folks are wanting to know. So having said that, open up the vacuum for uh, some tidbits for us. It's great to it's great to see you again. It's great to it's great to be back. And um, as you know, I'm um, a big fan of and friends with Akil, um, who I'm really excited to bring to the vodcast because yes. ever since I met Akil and started studying um, his material about the 18.6 year real estate cycle, it's completely changed the way that I approach investing, the way that I approach wealth, and um, the way that I think about economics. And um, it's been a couple years, and the material that they have is so vast and it's so important that I'm still, I still feel he thinks I'm a good student, but I still feel I'm not quite there with the magnitude. Oh, there's so much. It is. It's so much. There's so much. It's so yeah. hard. And every time I think that I've gotten to this point where I've got a good grasp, there's like a, a curveball thrown and I'm <laughs> like, dang. <laughs> like reverse re Oh my gosh, the reverse repo markets. I am still trying to figure out that. And I've tried reverse repo markets for dummies and I'm still, apparently we, we need the super special edition for Courtney. <laughs> well, you represent uh, uh, me too over here. All of us. So that is, that is a complicated space, I think. So anyway, well, Akil, you want to walk us through that and um, you know, what, what Adapia is referring to with this with this process. I think when you asked me that question, I was wondering if you wanted me to explain the reverse repo market. <laughs> well, you can. You can if there's I think, I mean, the, the reality is, though, you don't really need to understand, unless you're an investor in it, you don't really need to understand it in any great detail other than to know that it's a source of liquidity for banks. And when it dries up, banks can't extend loans anymore. And then the whole system starts to collapse. So. I think that's really the only salient fact you need to know about it. So other than that, it's all just- Yeah, I knew that's where they parked their money overnight. And so I just wasn't really sure, like, how does that affect other markets? Well, so, so okay, so, I mean, we're jumping right into the middle. So I know, we did. The, the we banking, did. The banking system <laughs> creates, I mean, the money supply in an economy is created by the banking system. 
um, when they, they, they literally just write a loan and that is the money that's created, which is then deposited in an account and spent into the economy. Now, banks need to pass reserves and other, other sort of um, assets to each other in order to make sure that they settle between themselves because you've got money moving around the system. And one of the ways they do that, I mean, that one way is, uh, is via the central banks. So they have reserve accounts with central banks and they're settling that way. The other way is to um, loan and borrow assets from each other through the repo markets or the interbank markets or other markets which historically have had uh, similar names. Now, when there is some crisis of confidence, banks stop doing that to each other and the central bank has to step in and inject liquidity into the system. Um, and sometimes it takes a bit of time to wake up to the fact that actually there's some serious problems. And typically, the it dries up towards the end of the economic cycle when everyone is over leveraged, property prices are far too high mm. uh, and there's been too much extension of money, aka money creation by banks for relatively marginal property schemes. And that creates a crisis of confidence, credit dries up, businesses can't access credit, credit is a lifeblood of the economic system, and then you get a full scale economic collapse. Um, and that and that is basically the essential point of, of repo markets. But if you were to go back to, for example, AD 33 and read the account by the Roman historian Tacitus, uh, he, he describes actually a very similar process. Banks lost confidence, they stopped lending to each other and they, it resulted in yeah this is not the first time we've seen this happen this is yeah. this is precedented in other other countries and other you know um we've watched uh currencies fail and other things like that and i think they're all tied in together you said that really well um when that that happens and the bank stop lending and that sort of thing it causes everything else to kind of crash and burn and so um, I, I'm definitely interested in your 18 point real estate cycle. So that's, I think there are so many people right now that are really just not sure of what to expect of 2023. Um, you know, are we in a recession? You know, what's going on with inflation? What's the Fed going to do? There's so many questions out there. And, and I think the, the economy and what to expect from 2023 is such a huge um, weight that's kind of sitting on everybody right now. So I'd really love to kind of dig into that. Okay um should we start with the big picture or do you want to yes yeah okay. that's that's great okay so so the 18.6 year real estate cycle is really the 18.6 year economic cycle so um essentially what you have at the end of each cycle is a major banking stroke financial stroke currency crisis and a major collapse uh, and then you to have several years of trying to sort that out the system resets and then you have a you have an, another expansion, which typically lasts about 14 years. Um, and then until you get to another peak and then another crisis, which again takes four or so years to, to sort out. Uh, and this has been going on in the US since at least 1800 uh, and even longer in the UK. And I, we, we talk about those two countries deliberately because they've retained their same form for the longest period of most um, you know, Western or developed, quote unquote, right. developed countries. Um, Typically, it is, I mean, we refer to it also as a real estate cycle because ultimately the asset that gets most speculated in is real estate. And it's the asset that everyone anywhere on the planet needs and needs access to either through ownership or renting to live, to work, to play, to, to do all the things that we need to do to live. Um, 
Uh, it's also the scarcest asset in the sense that while there's no shortage of property, there is a shortage of property or real estate in the best locations or in locations where other businesses and other people are located. Uh, and so there is a, a sort of a monopoly pricing power for well-located real estate, which supports speculation, which supports uh, prices going up, which supports banks creating more and more money against that rising value, which exposes the banking system to an overheated real estate market, which uh, ultimately cannot kind of keep going because real estate becomes too expensive for the economy to sustain. And when that starts coming down, the banking system then dries up and that's what causes the financial crisis. So it's a real estate cycle, but it's also an economic cycle. Um, so then the question I suppose is, where are we within it? Now you have, you have a, so I sort of outlined a 14 year sort of expansion and a four year kind of crisis and kind of recovery phase. Right. So, so, to, so and, and the expansion itself is, you could argue is divided into two roughly seven year halves and a mid cycle recession Mm -hmm. in between and the mid-cycle recession tends to be quite short and relatively uh, relatively easy to get out of i don't mean it doesn't cause problems i mean it's uh it, central banks and governments can can engineer a recovery relatively quickly uh, and then you get an, a second expansion and typically the second expansion in that 14-year phase is the bigger expansion there's more speculations higher prices things going further over the top behavior being more extravagant um and that is where we are now. So, so a lot of the, I mean, while there is no doubt somewhat of a slowdown in economic growth, um, as we, you know, come out of the sort of rather strange two to three years that we've all gone through, uh, it is not a recession that will cause a crisis. Um, in fact, you can you can in fact if you were to you know stop reading the news and just look out the window and see all the enormous building that's going on and a lot all the kind of sort of speculation and other things that is beginning is really sort of starting to get into gear and you're looking also globally so not just for the united states or europe but you're looking to see what's going on in the middle east and in parts of africa and in asia and so on i mean you can really see that there is a global boom underway uh, and that will continue for another three or so years to a likely peak around the middle of the decade. I can I can see that. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and they felt like one of the biggest opportunities that we were going to see in 2023 is distressed commercial real estate. Um, do you think that's coming? Um, I mean, real estate is a very locational asset. And so mm -hmm. it depends upon where you're talking about and what sort of commercial uh, property you're talking about. Um, I'm not an expert in, in either of those things, I have to say. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm sure there are opportunities because um, the uh, you know, commercial part of the property sector is probably even more sensitive to economic growth. Things have slowed down. Uh, interest rates have been high. And of course, it does uh, put um, some uh, entities out of business, which then will release real estate and also um you know the cost of borrowing is quite high for a lot of um of fundamentally for a lot of sure. uh, real estate owners and so yes i'm sure there are distressed assets out there i don't know if it's things are widespread enough to call the entire sector distressed uh, i just don't know enough about that's it. actually a really good point and uh, so mm -hmm. yeah um 
So I'll, I'll jump in real quick here. Yeah, Courtney, because the thing, the thing with the cycle and where we are in the cycle and, um, on their website and in their materials, they have this whole, it's called a clock and then basically like a chart or a, or a map. Um, and then, and then Akil, you're also really tracking a lot on like stocks and commodities. And part of this, one of the things that really stands out for me in the second half of the cycle. So the 2020 COVID crisis, that was the mid cycle recession. So yeah. to speak, so we're kind of like coming up and like coming out of it is we're, we're having, um, that infrastructure bill that was passed for um, energy efficiency and like green building and all of that, that in my mind is how I'm relating the second half of the cycle to continued investment because that infrastructure bill and the energy bill, um, that is all creating jobs and that is going to create opportunities for housing and real estate. And then it just builds and builds and builds and builds because there's still a ton of credit in the market. I mean, banks are lending, um, except for Wells Fargo, who decided to like take itself out of the market and maybe a and curious what your thoughts are on that like they've shifted around their mortgage stuff um but i still see a ton of credit creation and right now mortgage brokers are pretty excited about mortgage rates coming down and there was an article in the wall street journal just today saying that they're already seeing an uptick in mortgage applications and it's just it's just like we're coming out of this recession this weird squiggle of covid and then it feels like we're about to really ramp up especially if interest rates you know, normalize. If we stop the volatility, then people can start price discovery again. They can start investing again. They can start right. making moves. So I really feel like we're in this like calm before a takeoff personally. Well, yeah, yeah. And I think there's been a shift in what, you know, people were expecting this gigantic, huge crash and burn of all of mm -hmm. the markets. And I think um, everybody's kind of changing their outlook on what we're going to see over the course of this next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, people have been typically. I mean, I'm talking about experts here. Been typically looking the wrong way for the last sort of ten years. So, so why would why would 2023 be any different to any other year? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it, I mean, I, I sort of maybe slightly flippant comment, but um, uh, you know, 2009. But well, the cycle started around 2011, 2012. It's not it's not every one day that it starts but it's around that time when you had the low in us land values and so i should say by the way it's a land it's a land cycle so when property prices rise it's not the building that's increasing in value typically it's you know maybe maybe inflation means the build cost is higher but it's really the fund, fundamentally it's land which is going up in value um bottom of uh, us land prices was around 2012 sometime 2011 maybe no we don't really measure land values land prices which is part of the problem which is why no one sees a cycle but anyway um you know we they they, they i still distinctly remember in 2012 they were talking about triple dip recession and so on we had the libor scandal we had uh euros eurozone crisis we had you know all sorts of um political shenanigans in washington and other things around that time absolutely the best time to be investing but you know no one was really looking at that you know, 2013, 2014, it was an era of low interest rates. It was, you know, the idea that actually we're going to get hyperinflation. John Paulson lost billions thinking that gold would go to whatever it was. And it crashed, you know, um, then oil prices were going to go up. They crashed in 2014. You know, the Eurozone was going to collapse in 2015. It didn't, et cetera, et cetera, right? It was the era of low. It was just about quantitative easing and, 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 and so on. But actually, we've now seen that when quantitative easing has been removed and we've had some of the biggest... 
uh, economic shocks that you could possibly imagine things have kept going on. And this is basically how the cycle works, because fundamentally what is driving it is land and people need land. People have money to acquire land. People have the ability to borrow to acquire land uh, and they're doing so. Higher land prices induces greater construction. That is a major employer in any um, in any economy. Governments realize that the, the, the economy is shifting and it needs new infrastructure, it needs green technology, it needs faster broadband and all the other things that you know, create a modern society. That investment goes in, it's very lucrative, it uh, raises land values, that induces further construction, prices get higher in, in, in central areas so people look for other areas to live in. Um, maybe there might be some shifts in work patterns and so on, uh, and that new, new centers of population become um favorable and this is a very old story that happens maybe on the surface for different reasons but happens right after after age. It, it, very important piece that you just said you know with the shift in work patterns i mean we have we have all experienced that and seen that certainly from the last couple of years with covid and you know i know i'm in the houston area texas and so you know a lot of folks didn't have to go into the office. We're no longer desiring to live downtown. They were able to move out where they had access to uh, different styles of parks and whatnot and could office from home. And, and even, you know, the housing market, people were converting bedrooms um, into offices or buying homes that already had, you know, multi-purpose work styled environments built into um, homes because the whole work sh- work life has completely changed um, yeah. across the globe. You know that's just not in Texas, but I can just speak to that mm-hmm. since since I yeah. li- live here. You know, and I know in Dallas and and in LA, you know, in California where Adapia is at. I mean, you know that that is certainly true. And you know you're in you know London, and so you know I'm sure you're seeing that same. Same thing, you know, folks are no longer having to directly go into an office. I mean, many people still are. It depends on the, you know. Well, we're seeing, it's interesting. We're seeing, we saw the shift out of London during 2020 and 21. And now we're actually seeing people start to come back. Go back to the office. I have friends that are being incentivized. You want to maybe living in a, and I can't speak for small towns in America, but living in a small town in in, in rural England is maybe not quite as interesting as being, you know, close to the center of town. I, 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 speculate. I don't know. Yours might be more interesting. <laughs> I have a friend that works for Fidelity and they are actually giving them like bonus, like lunch money and stuff like that. If they actually come into the office to work. So they're yeah, I mean, being incentivized to be in person. I mean, the, the thing, I mean, part of that, is, part of that shift actually is, um, is we, I mean, there is a global shortage of workers. Mm-hmm. And actually, what's quite interesting, I remember, I remember seeing an article in, in 2020 about the economic consequences of pandemics. And they said one of the consequences of all pandemics in history is a shortage of workers. Now, when we're talking about the aftermath of the Black Death in, in Europe in the 14th century, it was because you know, most of the workers had been killed. And I, I was struggling to, to, to relate that to the experience of 2020, while Sirius didn't have nearly the same fatality rate. But it's nonetheless the case that people have retired early. They've decided that they have different priorities. They don't want to be sitting in an office for the remainder of their lives yeah. uh, and so on. And also, I mean, the other thing is that, um, uh, you know, there is, you know, just many new industries opening up 
are requiring new people and people are reskilling and, and moving into different things and old industries have a shortage of workers so you actually have to get incentives you have to pay them properly uh, you know most of what a company earns can't go off in, in you know shareholder remuneration or director remuneration it actually has to be shared with uh, office employees so actually what we're seeing is something relatively similar to most the aftermath of most pandemics in in, in history mm. quite interestingly mm. it is it really is and so you know as as you had mentioned the cycle um you know and where we were and Adapia, you had kind of spoken to that you you had mentioned um, something that I hope hope was hoping that you could dive into just a little bit more, um, which was the uh, behavior. You know, it, folks, their behavior being more extravagant. You know, in this um, second seven year cycle, if you will, what might be just historically some generalities of some of that extravagant behavior? Are you seeing people? buying more or you know yeah. what are you seeing or what should we borrowing be more borrowing more um, yeah no buying more borrowing more mm -hmm. borrowing uh, against uh, asset price rises as opposed to earnings mm -hmm. okay, so, um, borrowing uh, or borrowing to acquire things which have no earnings so so alternative assets crypto um etc which you, you know you know more about than i do um and uh speculating in things that really have no business being speculated in so a good example from a previous cycle was japan in the 1980s and there was a there was a roaring trade in golf memberships and even to the extent that there was something called the nikkei uh, golf exchange or something i think it was called the nikkei golf exchange and you the value of traded golf memberships on that was about 200 billion which was oh. um Wow. larger than the size of switzerland yeah my gosh yeah yeah so this is this is the sort of behavior you know the the, the record price at auction for a for a master painting or you know some some um uh, we've already been through the sort of paying silly money for a dog an N nft of a dog but there'll be an nft or something else yeah uh, probably even sillier uh in, in the an ape <laughs> like a party yacht club yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually i think i think you know maybe maybe it's a cycle too early but in the future there'll be you know bits of the moon that you can buy which potentially has you know some kind of mineral that's valuable on earth but of course you know getting getting it over to earth is, is a bit difficult yeah. um maybe there will be um some uh, real estate in decentraland uh that you know selling for ridiculous price uh etc so all this kind of stuff um these are these are all things that once you know once prices showing some upward momentum because people become interested and um, it goes way over the top. I believe that. I really think that the next, we've talked about this, that there's going to be, especially tokenization of assets and unlocking all this money from fixed assets into a digitized, like tokenized world. Um, I think there's going to be a huge amount of credit creation and like fiat token, whatever that is, is going to get traded. And I think that's, that's actually coming as well. And I wonder, um, because I, I track, um, I don't track, but I know about um, art prices. And right now it's a huge trade. Uh, whiskey is a huge trade. Rolexes are a huge trade, like that part of the cycle. I think you guys sent a newsletter about it, maybe last fall, um, about how it's starting to show itself the second half of the cycle, because you're seeing this trade in valuable 
assets that hold or are mm -hmm. thought to hold um, their value. And my question about all of this is how much and how important is the stabilization of interest rates so that the second half of the cycle can actually take off? Because we're not sitting at historically high interest rates by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, we're coming back to interest rates that were around in like 2015, maybe like my mortgage in 2015 was around 5%. Mm -hmm. um, and people were borrowing just fine and doing business just fine at five, 6% interest. So I would imagine, and I don't know, historically, um, Akil, but we haven't really had zero interest rates before other than this past decade, but like once that stabilizes and, and people are like, okay, this is it, we're kind of good now. It, like, I feel like that might be the catalyst for things to start picking up again. And, and we're humans, we're adaptable. We'll figure out how to borrow again. We'll figure out how to game the system. We'll figure out how to do all the things. That well, pivoting, pivoting and shifting your mindset. You know, Jason Hartman, he says, compared to what? That's like the ultimate right. best question. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Interest rates are high right now. Okay. Compared to what the last yeah. couple of years, but compared, yeah. I mean, gosh, exactly. I can remember back when interest rates were 20%. So compared to that, we're sitting beautifully and mm -hmm. it's just a matter of, I, I, I feel like we get kind of spoiled with how, you know, what we had and um, the things that we had in place. And now it's just a matter of shifting that and, you know, pivoting and making it work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you weren't you weren't paying the same price for property when it was twenty percent though. So I think I mean there is there is an element of um, there is an element of it. Yeah, you know, um, people have to spend more of their paycheck on on this stuff, and it might not necessarily be on the actual servicing cost of a loan on a uh, on a on a property. It might be that they have to deposit you know devote more of their savings towards a deposit for a house because price is so much higher. And even a five or 10 or 20% deposit is three or four years worth of earnings um, as opposed to something less in, in previous times. So yes, the market does adapt, but ultimately what people tend to pay the most for is, is there is a place to rent or a place, a place to own. Um, and or right now it could be that they just want to make breakfast and they're buying eggs. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, people are spending more just going to the grocery store or ordering on Instacart yeah. or getting gas in their car. I well, mean, they are paying more, but they're not paying the most, right? But yeah, I, I take the point. I mean, we have a we, yeah. we do have a you know cost of living crisis and, and so on. Um, I, I just before I come back to other peers point, I just wanted to make one final point. The, 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 the problem that people don't I mean, people treat real estate almost as if it's some kind of a stock on an exchange and it, if it goes up and down, it's it's one thing, you know, if people can't afford to pay $500,000, for example, for a, you know, a, a nice house in the center of Houston, um, they will pay 500,000 for something less good a bit further out because they want to live somewhere which has something and they have to compromise on what they get. So the goalposts are always shifting in relation in respect well, of real estate. And, and that has changed significantly. You know, it used to be a long time ago, you would spend a certain amount of your income for your property. And that has changed and that, that has really maxed out. And I think that is why we're seeing people really in trouble now because they 
Um, they went and borrowed the maximum amount they could for their property. And now we're seeing all of these other prices go up in the cost of living and the cost of everything else, which is leaving them in a bind with paying for properties than everything else. So yeah, true. But inflation won't stay at the level it is. I mean, this is basically essentially what the Federal Reserve is trying to do is I think ultimately it's more psychological than anything else. It's like scare enough people so they stop demanding pay increases and, and companies stop pushing up um, uh, prices and also hope for some resolution in the energy system and the food system and, and so on, which it looks like is you know starting to stabilize. So I actually think inflation will then roll off. And yes, to your point, Adapir, appear, um, it's not so much the level of interest rates, it is the direction or is whether it's moving, how quickly it's moving up or down. And once people have some certainty of that, they they then uh, make the decision. They look ultimately they borrow more. They you know they it's it's more speculative. They buy smaller places, um, uh, and they do what it takes. And it doesn't it, it there's no level at which prices have reached too high. It typically, I mean, you know, you might say in the U.S., you know, average prices are five times average earnings, and that's historically very high. And it People say, well, that's 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 the moment at which it's going to crash. Well, the reality is in Hong Kong, you pay an average of eight or 14 or whatever times your average earnings. And so no market, there's no absolute values in any of this. This is, this is back to your point about compared to what. The, the reality is, is that everyone has to be loaned up. Inflation does start to tick up towards the peak of the cycle and not because there have been very significant shocks to the system uh, which have caused that, it's because there has been so much extension of credit into the economy that there's a shortage of basically additional bank financing for further projects, which pushes the rate of interest up. And because a lot of it is, a lot of the money is, uh, that has been created by banks has gone into speculating in real estate uh, and not into additional production, that is what increases inflation. And that is at some point, there is a trigger and that starts to come down because there's a crisis of confidence, people stop lending. And when you've got into a speculative situation in markets, if you don't have rising prices, you have falling prices. There's no plateau. Mm -hmm. Excellent points. Well, I just want to thank you and Adapia, Akil and Adapia so much for um, all of these golden nuggets that you've shared with us. You've, yeah. you've really uh, piqued my um, interest um, a lot in this area. Uh, I've probably got more questions going on right now in my mind than we have time to even, even, even cover. Would you share with our guests today, both you and Adapia, on how our viewers can can find you both? What what website can we direct our viewers to for you both? I'll start with me real quick, yeah. and then I'll let um, Akil go. And um, I do, I do, Akil would love you to say when the top of the next cycle is so that we can all prepare because everybody's yeah. got a million questions and I do recommend subscribing to what they do. It's game changing. Um, but for me, um, I, you can find me most easily on LinkedIn, honestly, just uh, my name, pretty easy to find at Pia, A-D-A-P-I-A. -A -A. Uh, that is my most active platform and I'm happy to connect with anybody there. So that is where you can find me. Um, okay. And if anyone's interested, I'm the co-founder of Women of Wealth. And that is a mastermind that empowers women to build wealth, talk about money, talk about finances. And you two are both um, 
uh, founding members. I'm so grateful for you for um, for your support and for being part of this phenomenal group of women. It's an amazing that... group. Love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah, thank you. Yes, and Akil. Um, so I'm the director of uh, this company called Property Share Market Economics. Um, bit of a mouthful, but it does well on Google. I I, I understand. <laughs> um, and so it's the address is www.propertysharemarketeconomics.com. It's all one word. Um, and as Adapia says, we uh, provide commentary and forecasts of the markets. Um, both from a kind of a real estate cycle, but also stock market, commodity market perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a free newsletter, so you can sort of test us and see if you like what we have to say before becoming a subscriber. Uh, I very much encourage uh, your listeners to do so because well, I, I think I think it is relatively we have a relatively unique way of looking at things, which I you know I do believe in. You know, we didn't ourselves invent the 18 year real estate cycle, but we know how to apply it. And I think it's uh, uh, pretty robust. Well, and, and as an investor and, you know, our listeners are investors, it's really important to have that, you know, economic perspective on outlook so that you can make sure that you are investing in the right types of assets, you know, at least making the best educated decisions that we can. Yes, definitely. Sorry, could I make one further plug? Absolutely. Yeah, yes. so I'm I'm in the process of um, finalizing a book, which will oh. be published. Um, uh, I, well, I'm not entirely sure the date, but around the middle of the year, uh, and it will it's 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 structured as a journey through an 18 year cycle. So I break the cycle down into uh, eight or nine stages. I illustrate that stage with a different historical episode, and then I tell investors what. Firstly, what to look out for, and then secondly, what to do about it. Oh, amazing. I can't wait That's, to see that. Yes. What is it going to be called? It's going to be called The Secret Wealth Advantage, How to Profit from the Economy's Hidden Cycle. And I've been lucky enough to read a little bit of an advanced copy when I was in um, draft stage, and it's it's so easy to read. Like yeah. the book that, that yeah. Phil wrote, um, Akil's partner is a big historical, it's a tome. It's a big, a weapon. <laughs> it really goes, it really goes into it. It's like a, you know, it's like a proper, like universe size. Office. It's well, a big one. It's and a Akil's, <laughs> Yeah. And Akil's is to me is, the, um, no, not, that book is phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, but the, like Akil, your book is is um, a little easier to digest in terms of bringing it down into what we already know and how we think today. Um, and I think those two together really help because you can reference a lot of the in depth research for every year that everything happened, and then and then the way yours is. So um, I'm excited for the book to come out. Wow, oh, I, I love that. After you bring it out, we'll have to yeah. kind of go do like another episode yeah, and do a, a dive into the book. Um, mm-hmm. I love that because I need things broken down Courtney style. So I understand it. So I'm, ex- I'm excited about that. That's amazing. Thanks That's for sharing nice that. Definitely. Well, thank you all so much. I just want to, um, one more time, just ask our viewers to like and subscribe our Ladies Kicking Assets vodcast. Thank you both for carving out time in your day. I know Mondays are tough, um, but we just thank you so much for making time to record with us. And we'd like to just say till next time, our Ladies Kicking Assets viewers, we have some um, 
amazing guests coming up, but please dive into what's been shared with you today. And I look forward to getting on your free newsletter list. I do too. I'm going to go subscribe to that right now. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. Yes. Y'all have a great day.